few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And uh, we have the Lord's Supper available every week. I know some of you come from a church background tradition where you took it every week, and we always make it available every week. But we come together uh, regularly to take it together as a family, and so that's what we're going to do today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it will be on the screen, but you can look it up on your device. And I want to read this passage and then just kind of highlight some things for us today as we examine our hearts as we come to the table today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm beginning in verse 23. And uh, this is Paul. Paul speaking. Paul had, uh, uh, there was a church in Corinth that had some struggles. You know, I always think it's funny that people say they want to be a New Testament church. And uh, I always wonder, which church do you want to be? Do you want to be a church like Corinth that had immorality kind of flowing through it and Paul had to address all these things on them? Or do you want to be uh, another church in Philippi where there were a couple of ladies cre- creating discord in the church? Which one do you want to be? And I know what they're saying. They want to be Acts chapter 2. But but uh, it wasn't too long after Acts chapter 2, there were some problems that started to develop. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then... Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. The the verse I want to highlight and kind of dwell on it for a few minutes is verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim or you declare this to be true, the Lord's death until he comes. I grew up in Waco, not far from here. I've been a Central Texas boy all my life. And uh, growing up, we grew up in church. Uh, Man, I was I grew up in a, in a church, came to Christ as a boy. When I was the age of eight, I followed the Lord in baptism. But growing up in Waco was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, for, for a guy that lived there for the first 22 years of his life, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a town that's unique. And I, and I know many of you are thinking fixer-upper and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Well, that didn't, that didn't exist when I was a kid. But there were some strange things that came along. There was a... Seventh Day Adventist group that came uh, that that were there for a while, and uh, they had the time figured out by a clock on the floor exactly when Jesus was going to return, and uh, it didn't happen. Group disbanded. You think if it's all built on on that, that's what happened. But there have been others. Yeah, I mean we we all know of David Koresh and that kind of thing. But there have been groups that have kind of floated in and out about thinking of the return of Jesus and have kind of built their whole calendar upon a particular date. I remember, in fact, I remember we moved here in 1985, and some of you will remember in the fall of that year that uh, Jesus was supposed to return, and there was a big old push towards that. 
Um, when I was a kid growing up in youth group in the 70s, I was a teen in the 70s, there was a movie that came out in 1974. Some of you, you old-timers will remember this. It was called A Thief in the Night. And A Thief in the Night came along, and it was a, it was a film. This was before um, the uh, Left Behind series, and it was that very thing. This, this film was made. The Lord had returned, taken all the believers out, and those that were left behind were going to have to deal with things. It was shown at every uh, lock-in, every uh, fifth quarter fellowship after football games, every retreat. You would show that thing to scare people into the kingdom best you could, man. I mean, thief in the night. And then many of you remember uh, the Left Behind series that came along. I, I thought they were going to keep making books until Jesus did come back because there were so many in the, in the thing. But once again, many people were just curious about, is this the way it's going to be when, when Jesus returns? Uh, many of you may not, may not know this. You may be aware of this, that there's actually a font type uh, called second coming type. That, that actually, secular journalists call it the second coming type. It's when you uh, have a big old byline or, uh, that's there, and it's called second coming type. Uh, I, I also remember as a kid, because I would hear a lot about the return of Jesus, and sometimes it was meant to scare you straight is what it was meant to do. And uh, I remember laying in my bed, and that's back in the days when you just raise up your window, and uh, I'd be laying there. I think I've shared this before with you guys. There was not a train close to our house, but in the stillness of the night, uh, I could hear a train, uh, sound of a train horn, and I just knew it was the trumpet call of God, man. I knew that's what it was, and I just kept waiting for it to get closer and closer and closer, and uh, sure enough, it was just a train whistle. But I just knew this was Christ returning. You know, we talk about, we just came back the season of talking about the birth of Christ. We talk about the birth of Christ. And Easter, we talk about the uh, resurrection of Christ. But, you know, Paul said, uh, you're going to do this until I return. Paul, I really believe, who wrote most of the New Testament, was living in anticipation that Christ could return at any moment. Now, some people want to argue and say, oh, I think there's signs of the times and these kind of things we have to look at and all that kind of stuff. When I read the New Testament, I believe that the Apostle Paul expected Christ to return at any moment. And I sometimes wonder what happened to our anticipation. If we believe about the birth and we believe the resurrection, we better believe that he's coming back. The scriptures are very clear in that area. But I think when Paul was addressing the Lord's Supper like we're about to do, he's addressing some things that this church was struggling with. And he, he begins by looking back. Let's look back. Let's look back at what Jesus did. And so he begins to talk about what Jesus did and he, the breaking of the bread, and this is my body and this is my blood. And the first coming of Jesus, he was the suffering servant. That's what it shows. He came to give his life as a ransom for all of mankind. He was the suffering servant. Secondly, he was... Humble. He, he came in, uh, he was, uh, origin, his origin would be humility. He, you know, he was riding on the colt of a donkey, and this was a sign of humility in that he came in. He also, the first time he came, he stood before men. He stood before Pilate. He stood before mankind to be judged by mankind, and he was crucified by mankind. And he also came originally as the sacrificial lamb. He came as the one who would give his life, and he was the sacrificial lamb. That was his first coming. And we see that, and we read about Jesus, and we know that he came, and he, he came humbly, and he came, 
healing and he came uh, teaching and he came humble. He came to give his life as a ransom for all of mankind, that sacrificial lamb. That is the reason he came. And Paul's making that very clear. When you come to the table, you've got to look back. But the second thing is, I think he's trying to get across, is you've got to look forward. You've got to look forward because he says, we're going to do this until Christ returns. And you better bank on that, that he's going to return. Well, what's going to happen at his return? Uh, in his second coming, he's not coming as the suffering servant. He's coming as the conquering king. And it's his second coming. He's not coming of humble origin. He's coming with the armies of heaven that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's not coming to stand before men. This is the time he's going to come where all men will stand before him. And then lastly, he originally came as the sacrificial lamb. He's not coming as the sacrificial lamb again. He's coming as the righteous judge. And so his second coming, which will come, the scriptures give us many clarity that he's coming. He's going to come totally different than he came the first time. And sometimes uh, Jesus even addressed it that people are going to say, there he is or there he is. No, no. You're going to know when Christ returns. It's not going to be wondering, did Jesus come back? Did he not come back? You're going to know it when he returns. He comes as the conquering king uh, the way he is. So Paul said, you look back, you look forward, and as you look back and you look forward, it's going to make you look inward. You're going to have to examine yourself. And that's what he spends the rest of this passage on. Let a man first examine himself. Come before the mirror. Look at yourself spiritually. Look at where you are and look at that. You know, many people want to talk about end times. Mark, when do you think the end times is? In Matthew uh, chapter 24, Jesus is talking about there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes. There will be famines in the land, all these kind of things. Mark, do you think that some of these are signs of the end times? Maybe. I don't know. But Jesus himself said he didn't even know as the son of, son of God. He did not know the time. And a time has been designated. He's going to return. Many people have tried to speculate. Many people have tried to read the tea leaves of life, so to speak, to see when Jesus is going to return. And uh, many of those things just kind of fall deaf because we are not going to know when he is going to return. And I'm not here to give a theological discourse on, on eschatology, the end of time. I'm not here to talk premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. I'm not here to talk about any of that. I'm just here to talk it's going to happen. And I tell you what gives me more signs than anything else, and may, we may be in the last days, is in Second Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, has nothing to do with earthquakes, nothing to do with famines, nothing to do with war. But this is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Let me tell you, what I read just there, I can pick up the local newspaper and put them beside each other and probably draw parallels to both of them. 
And Paul is saying, listen, there's going to be treacherous days, terrible days in the last times. And he begins to describe this. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're, they're haters. They're, they're, um, they hold to a form of godliness, religiosity, but deny the power thereof. Let me tell you something. I am not a uh, massive gift maybe in discernment, but I can read that and tell you that's going on right now. And it's going on in large quantity right now. So if somebody wants to say, Mark, where do you see signs of we may be in Christ's uh, latter days of his return? I, I read that. There's no earthquakes in that, no famines in that, no antichrist in that. It's just the spirit of the, the what was happening where Paul said it was going to take place. And I read that. And I don't say that to scare you. I just say that to say, listen, if we're going to read something, let's read the whole of God's word and what it says. But here's the deal about Christ followers. I just want to talk to you Christ followers just a moment. I see Christ followers living in one of two camps when it comes to the return of Jesus. Okay, fact, he's going to return. But I see Christ followers living in one of two ways. One I'm reminded of when I was in elementary school. In elementary school, the teacher says, I'm going, to leave the, I'm going to leave the classroom for a while, but I will be back. All right. So what do we do? We're going, to, we're going to be out of control for a little bit. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick somebody to be a watch out for us, to tell us, because when the teacher comes back, we don't want her to find us doing what we're doing, so you be the lookout to see that this is going to happen. I see many Christians today, and that's how they're viewing Christ's return. Jesus is going to return, and he's going to return in such a way so that he can catch us being bad. He's going to be like a thief in the night who's going to come so he can sneak up on us to see how bad we are. That's and that's how we do. And so we're thinking, okay, maybe if I can read the tea leaves just right, Jesus is going to come back. And right before that, I'll get my whole house in order. I'll just get it all in order. I'll repent of every sin that I've ever committed. I'll get all my relationships right. This is what I'm going to do because Jesus is about to return, and he's looking how bad I am, and he's going to catch me in how bad I am. That's a wrong way of thinking. The second group is... I've done probably two, three hundred weddings in my my uh, tenure as a pastor, and um, there's nothing that awes me more than to be at a wedding and to see the groom right before his bride comes down the aisle. I will watch their eyes. I will watch their smile. I will watch them choke back tears. I will watch the gleam that comes. I will watch an anticipation the beauty that they're about to behold. They're not fearful of their bride coming down the aisle. They're not thinking, oh, brother, i got to live there with the person the rest of my life. <laughs> it's not like, oh, great, they're going to come down here and catch me and all the wrong I'm doing. What they're doing is, is their heart is beating extra fast because the lover of their soul is coming down that aisle. Do you see the two differences about approaching the return of Jesus? Jesus, the one who gave it all, he, he's the one that gave everything for us. He is the one that gave, laid down his life for us. He is the king of all kings. He is the, he's the savior. He's the lover of my soul. 
Let's make, let's just be perfectly clear. We're all broken and flawed. Christ alone is what gives us salvation and deliverance. And He is going to return for us. He is going to return. And yes, He's going to be judged. Yes, He's going to be the righteous King. But let me tell you, He's coming back for us. Not against us. I see so many Christ followers just living in fear instead of living in anticipation. I... I, uh, and what's interesting is in 2 Timothy 4, let me read just a little bit here. Chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Let me just read it. Paul, I mean, Paul is at the death, death door, basically. He says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And the word love there is agape, but it's strong. It's a yearning. He also is coming back, and he will reward award those who are yearning for his appearing. And what's interesting is, is if you go to the end of the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, at the very end of the book, in verse in chapter 22, in verse 18, John the Revelator is given this revelation. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. And then it says this, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's what he says. I'm coming soon. Now, what's soon to God? I don't know. Obviously, it's soon to him is a thousand years is nothing. Peter even talked about that. But soon he could come at any time. And I tell you what is bad. And, and I've got to address this. Because I struggle with this. Single people in this room are saying, "Yeah, I want Jesus to come back, but I want to get married first. Young married couples are saying, yeah, I want Jesus to come back, but I want kids first. Those with kids are saying, yeah, I want Jesus to return, but man, I want to have grandkids first. And I want to see them growing up. In other words, we think everything that's of earthly importance to us will fulfill us more than the love of our soul. And let me tell you, His coming is going to be incredible. We're going to truly discover who we are. We're no longer looking through a glass darkly, but we're looking face to face at the one who created us. I, and here's my challenge, because we're about to go to the table. It's this. As you look back at what Jesus did, as you look forward to his return, we are in here, okay? We're looking inward. And I'm not here to put guilt, condemnation on you. That's not what I'm, I'm about. 
So I'm going to ask it this way. How's your love life with Jesus? I mean, he's, he's coming back. He's the ultimate love. He's a lover of your souls. Yes, he's going to be judged. And we'll be judged by our fallenness. We already know we're fallen. I mean, where are you with Jesus and loving him? Where are you in that relationship? Because I can tell you this. Uh, you put a bunch of do's and don'ts in front of me. They're not going to make me any better. I'm going to be so scared of breaking all of those rules. That's what the Ten Commandments do. I look at that. I'm to live my life according to that. I look at that and saying I do not have a chance. Those rules are not going to fix me. But yet you put me in a love relationship. I look at my relationship with my wife. You can tell me not to, not to lust and have an affair or sleep around all day long. Those are the rules. But let me tell you what is the sticking power is I have a love relationship with her that I want to keep pure. So what I'm saying today is I'm not here to give you a bunch of do's and don'ts. I'm here to push you to your Savior and knowing that He is the one who can give you the strength to live this life out. And he says, first let a man examine himself as we come to the table. So that's what we're going to do. I want Brett and the team to come up here. And we're just going to sing a song. Oh, praise the name. And uh, it's an opportunity for you just to reflect on what the Holy Spirit of God may be speaking to you. And these steps become an altar. There's not going to be somebody up here to counsel you out of sin. We want you to come and deal with the Lord the way you need to. And we're just going to allow this to happen. And so I want to pray over you. Lord, I am asking, as we submit to you right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just come and massage our hearts, nudge us, Lord, towards you. Lord, show us the path in which we should walk. Thank you.